31. That's how many episodes we are in so far. Uh, what an intro. Uh, I could not think of anything else because Brett's brain is fried. Um, but welcome to the pod. Um, Brett's fried. All right. Well, we didn't go that far. Well, um, you got to wait a little less than a year, actually. Almost 21. All right. Regardless, welcome to the podcast. Brett Shops, Ben Pope, Mike Giacchetti. Always an interesting way to start out the podcast. <laughs> That's one way you can say it, I guess. Um, Ben's been in a very uh, friendly mood as well, I guess we could say. Mike, huh? He's always been a, uh, a sarcastic kind of mood, won't you say? He's always All right. Uh, so welcome, welcome into the 3 and Out podcast. Ben Pope here alongside Brett Shops, Mike Giacchetti. Since Brett won't do the intro, I will do it. Uh, welcome into episode 31. We've got some interesting news to start off with, but the big banger here, we are going to be talking about our top 10 tight ends later in the episode, but we do have a few bits of news, some of it breaking just today. Uh, Brett, do you want to actually get into the topics at hand? Sure, Ben. Why not? All right. Thank um, you. Uh, let, let's start things out. Uh, he mentioned a couple big pieces of news to start out with today. First one being Derek Carr just signed a massive three-year deal worth $121 million with the Las Vegas Raiders. There was so much speculation that he was going to leave Vegas. They were going to trade him. He was going to go elsewhere. But Dave Ziegler, the new general manager, goes out, and one of his first big things is signing their starting leader, their guy, Derek Carr, to a three-year deal ton of money involved in this contract as well. I believe it's over $40 million guaranteed. Um, so Derek Carr finally gets his cash, and this is good news for the Raiders if they really want to compete in the AFC West. Yeah. I mean, I love this move. Um, Derek Carr has been there since drafted second round, I believe, in 2014, and he has been, ever since coming in, a very, very solid quarterback. Um, when he came in, they were Oakland at that point. They were kind of dealing with a lot of um, depression in that in that organization because of all their lackluster years. And then he came in, and he he's kind of provided them along with some other pieces that they've uh, built up a lot of stability. And they are a solid playoff caliber team now. Yeah, I mean, great move. For them to sign him, averaging about forty million a year, I believe, just over that, and they made two big additions or two big signings on the offense, and two on the defense, and Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, and the Raiders, they kind of came in kind of slow this offseason with the signings, uh, the other teams in their division like the Chargers, and like the um, why am I blanking? The Broncos. And they, they kind of all rounded out. They're signing their guys, uh, big big contracts, and they're they're really looking to compete here in this division. You said that in a little bit of a somber tone here, Mike. This is an exciting day here for Derek Carr. For sure. Uh, you said it in a little depressing way. Talking they came out of depression, dog? Yeah, okay, absolutely. Well, That's what their franchise was. Maybe a little too too far there but they've always got some rapscallions on their team regardless talking about Derek Carr specifically he is unfortunately 
in a situation where he is probably the fourth best quarterback in his own division. That is no slouch on him. He is arguably a top 12 right outside that range in the quarterback rankings. And he's done a phenomenal job the past couple years, really leading the Raiders to promising playoff implications, uh, despite them really not being playoff relevant at the beginning of the season. I do think that uh, this deal, even though the number, Numbers seem big. It's close to like forty million per year. Just looking at it, base stat wise. But like you mentioned, Brett, only forty million guaranteed. So it's not too too bad on that uh, standard. So just for the Raiders to lock in their quarterback, it's always a good thing to see that. And Derek Carr is getting a great contract in that as well. Just interested to see how the Raiders are able to play this year. They're probably uh, probably the least favorite in the division just because of the moves that the other teams m- made. Like you mentioned, Mike. But they are no slouch uh, to be fourth in this very strong division. I, I actually just looked because I was curious. Their last winning season since 2014, drafting him, which they went three and 13. Uh, before then was uh, 2002. It was the last winning season before Derek Carr. So interesting there. Definitely. You think, about, uh, you think of all the quarterbacks too that went through. <clears throat> excuse me, Oakland and Vegas before they even got Carr. Terrell Pryor, Carson Palmer. I mean, the, the list just goes on um, of just strange quarterbacks that led the Raiders before Carr actually got some stability in the system. So, I don't know. I think it's finally good that they're giving him the money he deserves um, at some point in time. Um, but it, overall, it's just a good deal for the Raiders. The only thing that concerns me is how much cap they're going to have left to really go and invest in some of those guys that are the final pieces for a Super Bowl team. Yeah, before this offseason, I was very strong on the trade Derek Carr train just due to the fact that you can't really compete with the other teams in that division. But it's it's really tough to say because the Raiders still could make with a good draft. They have a new GM in there, right? Because Mayock is gone now. Who, who really knows what this division? One team gets on a hot streak, and it, it could be theirs because this division race is going to be really, really tight all the way through. Like Ben said, they're probably the least favorite in the division. That doesn't mean anything, though, because all four of these teams, it wouldn't shock any of us if all four of them made the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's you bring up a good point too. It's just one of those cases, and we haven't seen it in a while, where legitimately all four teams could make the playoffs. The Chiefs and the Broncos and Chargers have already been, you know, favored in solid contention for not only the playoffs, but conference championship and even Super Bowl. But now you have the Raiders getting into it right after the Broncos go Wilson and making all these moves. So you have some serious potential here for all four teams to make the playoffs with positive records and I think the last time we saw it was almost the NFC South a few years ago. Um, I think the only team that didn't make the playoffs was Tampa Bay. I believe this was the year where the Falcons went to the Super Bowl in 2015 or 2016. Sorry. Um, and Tampa Bay was struggling that year with Jameis. Um, it, it was close, but um, nowhere near the amount of competition the AFC West is going to have today. Yeah. I also think that if Russ never went down this year, that, all four of the NFC West teams would have been in the playoffs this past year. Yeah, you're not wrong there. I I would not have been surprised at all, but 
I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot of things that uh, could go down in the AFC West this year. It could be completely different from what people expect, but again, time will tell. For sure. And before we uh, continue on here, got a couple comments here, all from Mr. George Hathaway, who's uh, just about a few minutes away from me, uh, watching the Pelicans game against the Spurs. Jeez, that's really a uh, interesting matchup. Um, <laughs> talk about the Pelicans. Well, they are an NBA franchise, and we talk the NFL, so that's not really relevant. <clears throat> CJ McCollum is nasty. Well, I don't think he has COVID, so I I don't think that's nice calling him nasty and gross. <clears throat> And Ben has a Sixers flag, but thinks uh, Jokic is MVP. Well, this isn't exactly my normal setup here in my normal room, so that is irrelevant. And the Joker is still the MVP. So yes, uh, just we've had some uh, comments that don't usually get addressed. Uh, that has been brought up by some of our fans. So just wanted to highlight those real quick. <laughs> thank you, Ben. Of course. And thank you, George. Great interaction every week. Oh. For sure. Always. Always. Um, so moving on uh, to our next topic, a bit of a somber one um, to the Steelers. Um, and this is a topic that um, is a little sensitive, um, but former Pittsburgh quarterback Dwayne Haskins uh, passed away earlier this weekend, this past weekend, um, in a vehicle incident. Um, it was in the morning, um, and unfortunately he did pass away in that accident Um Haskins was in his early 20s um, and former first-round pick for the Washington football team and then was signed by the Steelers after two years with the football team. Um, it's just a really tragic thing to see. Um, you know, you don't want to see any of these scenarios happen to anybody, um, especially at a young age that Haskins was in, um, stood out at Ohio State. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it happens, and it's just a shame to see and he was a bright talent, so uh, it's tough to see one of the uh, the good ones in the league fall. I was, bro, I don't even know. Like, I never, ever cry. And, I, like, I've, I've been telling everyone, bro, I think I told you guys, too, I've cried more this past weekend just because of this than I have in, like, the past five years. Like, I had no – I was huge on Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins um, as a player – but it's just the situation, him being 24 years old. It's just so, so, so heartbreaking. And then um, Terry McLaurin's post, I lost it. I lost it uh, when he was saying they're going to uh, one day celebrate in the end zone in the sky. But just, just, it's really, it's really, really heartwarming just to see that it's bigger than football. <coughs> Everyone comes together and uh, pays their tributes to uh, unfortunate situations like this. And it just shows you that football is just a little aspect of the game. Life is life is so, so precious and so much bigger than uh, than football in general. But just, just heartbreaking situation all around. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a situation where you put aside any anything in regards to the player and just try to like, acknowledge and know the person. As far as I'm aware, Dwayne Askins has always been a good teammate, um, a good friend to both his Steelers and his uh, former Washington teammates. Uh, he was going back and forth. He was 
on a workout with some of the wide receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks for the Steelers. So it was in good connection there. Um, always uh, when a player uh, or just any uh, person of notoriety that is in this industry that uh, unfortunately passes away, uh, the one I think of that affected me the most, uh, and I try to relate to it, uh, is Jose Fernandez for the Miami Marlins back in 2016. That was the one that uh, probably hit me the hardest, so I try to treat any situation like that uh, to the situation or the significance that I held uh, Jose's unfortunate death. So I think what uh, some of his Steelers teammates and what you mentioned with Terry McLaurin's post was obviously really heartwarming to know and recognize that people did care about Dwayne really significantly. Uh, all my support goes out to not only his family, but uh, just his teammates as well. And anyone that knew Dwayne uh, in any capacity, it's um, like you mentioned, 24 years old. It's, it's too early. It's always um, not a great time, no matter what age. Um, but it's, it's really unfortunate to see that um, he wasn't able to kind of make the uh, strides and make the comeback that a lot of people had expectations for him too. But again, off the field, you just hope that both the family and the friends are able to recover in their own way and able to move on from this experience. Yeah, I, I think you put a, a, a good touch on that, Ben, and especially really heartwarming to see all his friends and family um, post about him on social media and all the good things that he did. A good member of the community and his family and his friends. Um, I saw Paris Campbell. That was the one that really struck me the most on Twitter. Um, he was really close with Dwayne Haskins um, at Ohio State. So that was the one that really touched me the most. <clears throat> but again, like Ben mentioned, all of us here at the Renal Podcast um, express our deepest sympathies and condolences to the Haskins family and anyone that knew him. Um, it's tough to see him go at 24 years old, but unfortunately, um, there are some things in life that us here can't control. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, he's a great person, a great man. Um, and you move forward. Um, so I guess that puts a bow on that. Rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins. Um, and with that, we will move forward in the show. Um, and we will talk. I think it's time. Do you, do you think it's time, Bope? Do you think it's time, Mike? <laughs> Seems early, but yeah, we'll roll with it. Or a little light on news, I guess. Don't we'll quickly acknowledge Stefan Gilmore met with a couple teams. I met with Indianapolis and the Rams. That's pretty much it. Yeah, it's a it's a quiet time in the NFL. Um, right before the NFL draft, um, that'll be February February twenty eighth, March twenty eighth. Wow, I keep striking out here. April April twenty eighth. Thank you. There we go. <clears throat> it's a late draft this year. Um, no, never. Last year's draft was almost like mid to like, I think it was like April 17th. I want to say um, it was earlier than this year, Yeah, uh, but at the same time, yeah. Once the NFL draft ramps up, we'll go over that. We could also uh, touch on some draft analysis post uh, NFL draft, but for now we will jump into our NFL tight end rankings um, as a reminder, once again, uh, these are our projections for 2022, 2023, uh, our top 10 guys moving forward. Um, and let's jump into it. So I'll toss it over to Ben, uh, to start it out. Our residing, and I will, uh, toss it over to Brett to start off because Brett never starts. <laughs> so I that is that true. That. 
That's I true. appreciate that. Brett, you can start. All right. Um, okay, I guess. Seems I'm, a little unprepared I'm... for that. Um... <laughs> I'm ready to go. I got it. Number 10 for me. This is a this is an interesting one. Um, oh jeez. <laughs> I already know. I already know it. I gotta say it right. Oh my god. Are you Albert Okuebunam, baby? Okay. Um there's a reason. Um actually. You giggled? It made a you elephant giggled. noise there. Like <laughs> no, Albert Okuebunam is my number 10. Um the reason being is that he does not have no offense, no longer compete with in the Broncos tight end room. It's pretty much him and himself. They signed Tomlinson from the Ravens, but he's going to be featured predominantly as a blocking tight end, leaving Okwebunam as the pass catching tight end featured with not Drew Locke, not Teddy Bridgewater, Russell Wilson. Um, and Russell Wilson has been known in the past to feature his tight ends a lot. Jimmy Graham, the rise of Will Disley. Um, and I'm excited to see what this kid can do. Um, I think in the offensive scheme with uh, Nathaniel Hackett um, is going to allow Alberto to produce a lot more statistics than we normally see as the bird charm, bird chimes. Um, but at the end of the day, I think this kid's going to produce a lot of stuff. Um, it's a bit of a riskier play at number 10, but I have Albert Okoyebunam here. Mike, I imagine your number 10 is not uh, someone that uh, can't be spelled on the back of a jersey, um, but we'll see. Um, you absolutely can. No, I know. Uh, to digress, like Brett's pick, if you we were just picking off the season, probably wouldn't have hour on here, but I love the optimism that he held as a Broncos fan. No, it's not a bad pick. It's not a bad pick. Um, you want me to go? My number 10 is uh, Pat Fryermuth. Uh, Pat Fryermuth is a guy who definitely showed lashes in his rookie season, correct? Uh, this past year. With, yes. we know, talk about him every week, Big Ben. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky was very, um, definitely highlighted his tight ends in Chicago. And I think Pat Fryermuth will be a big, a big, I feel like I'm going to use it, overuse this word a lot today or this phrase, uh, safety blanket. But that's how I see a lot of uh, tight ends being for young quarterbacks. Just uh, just big guys that can go over the, over the middle um, and just just do what they do. But uh, Pat Fryermuth, I feel like he's going to be a big uh, safety net for Trubisky in his first year with the Steelers. Juju is no longer there, even though he was kind of... Uh, if he the last few years injured all last year, he has Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, but I feel like Pat Fryermuth is going to take that next step into uh, a bigger role in this offense. Very interesting there. I like both the young players that you guys have at your number 10. And I have another young player that uh, I think we're each going with players young that we just like. And uh, I really like Cole Komet. From the Chicago Bears. Ooh. He's my number 10. Cole Komet had a really solid end to the season. He was pretty much solidifying the number two receiving role on that Chicago Bears team alongside Darnell Mooney with Justin Fields pretty much holding the reins as the starting quarterback from Mr. Red Rocket himself, Andy Dalton. But I digress. His numbers pretty much doubled from his rookie season, going from just over like 290 yards to 
close to like 660 receiving yards. His receptions numbers doubled. It just seemed like he was more comfortable and more built into the offense that Matt Nagy created. Now with a new change in both head coach and offensive coordinator, it'll be interesting to see how they use the tight end in their offense, whether they rely more on David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert using Fields' legs. But I still think that both Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet will have solid roles on this team as a one-two receiving roles. And I've got him at number 10. I have a lot of confidence in this player. And then going from a player that I think is on the rise, I think this is a player that's honestly probably in his prime right now, and I'm really glad to see it. He's fully healthy as Dallas Goddard of the Philadelphia Eagles. He has been one of my favorite tight end picks for a while now, and he was able to put up a mostly healthy season for the first time in a couple years. Played 15 games this past season, had 56 catches with 830 yards. That was uh, close to the league lead at the tight end position alongside guys like Kelsey, Pitts, Andrews. But Goddard was right up there as well. He was surprisingly high for the uh, missing the couple games and having Jalen Hurts and a run-heavy offense working in Philly. But Goddard's a very strong player. He's very strong after the catch. He averages like 11 yards per catch, which is really good at the tight end position. That's like George Kittle-type numbers right there. And Goddard's a freak athlete. He's always had to depend on Zach Ertz being the – kind of number one target in that offense being another tight end. But Goddard's really been able to capitalize since Hurts got traded to the Cardinals. And he did phenomenal. It seemed like uh, him and Jalen Hurts had enough chemistry there. It wasn't the same as that he had with Carson Wentz, but I think it's definitely good enough for him to be that number one receiving option alongside Devontae Smith, probably a 1A, 1B type situation, at least as long as Devontae Smith is developing into that type receivers that we definitely believe that he can be. But Goddard's a solid option, and I think he's a strong play here at number nine. Good pick, good pick. I can go next if you want, BC, because I also have uh, Dallas Goddard at my number nine spot. Everything what Ben said, definitely agree with all those points. And, yeah, since uh, Zach Ertz was traded, Dallas Goddard kind of stepped up into that tight end one role very nicely with Jalen Hurts. I put him at nine because I believe that Philly is going to want to see Jalen Hurts passing more uh, because I feel like this is going to be his make or break year kind of because they're setting themselves up, setting themselves up for safety in next year's draft for a quarterback if Jalen Hurts doesn't turn out and they want to see what he can do in the passing game. I feel like Dallas Gardner is going to be a big, big part in that passing attack in the kind of, uh, basically the the improved passing attack that I think uh, Philly will run this year. They'll be more, not more pass-heavy than run-heavy, but more pass-heavy than they were uh, this last season. So Dallas Goddard is my number nine. <clears throat> Both of you solid picks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jeez, I'm like losing my voice. Um, moving to my number nine, um, I have Hunter Henry um, for the New England Patriots. This one, uh, again, another interesting pick. Um, but Hunter Henry was someone that was kind of overlooked as far as one of the top tight ends in 2021. But his statistics showed otherwise. I thought he was actually pretty solid. Finished second in touchdowns over the course of the season. He had nine total catching touchdowns. Um, the only problem is his production and fantasy and as a whole were solely dependent on those touchdowns. Um 
But again, Hunter Henry now moving into this year, I think Coach Belichick understands more of what he has in a skill set with both John Smith and Hunter Henry. And I think you're going to see a lot more of Hunter Henry featured in the offense because of just the nature of Mac Jones's ability to go to him in the red zone and to feature him in the offense. So I think he'll be featured more. Um, and Hunter Henry for me is at number nine. And then number eight for me on this list, um, who I also have high going into this season is Robert Tunyon uh, from the Green Bay Packers. Um, the, the big, the big Packers man, Ben Pope gives me a nod. Um, <laughs> but before he got hurt, um in this past season um with the Packers Robert Tunyon was putting up some fantastic numbers um moving the ball down the field I believe he was top 10 in touchdowns top 10 in yards per game when it comes to tight ends um but at the end of the day Tunyon was all around solid producer at the tight end position with Aaron Rodgers the big thing for him is that Rodgers loves to go to his tight ends between himself Josiah DeGuara and Mercedes Lewis when he got hurt uh, Jimmy Graham, when he was in Green Bay, J- just as a whole, Aaron Rodgers likes to spread the ball down the field and into the red zone with his tight ends. Um, and I think when Tunyon is back 100% healthy, he'll be back in the offense like he was before. Um, and at number eight, I have Robert Tunyon. Very interesting there. Uh, we'll go from somewhere very brutally cold in Green Bay to the red hot skies of Miami. Miami Beach. I've got Mike Gesicki here at number eight. This is a player that I've always been a little bit hesitant on to rank him as among the top tight ends. I think he's just been very dependent on some really big games in his career, and he really hasn't had the target share that I thought he could handle in the Miami offense that really didn't have a number one receiver once Jarvis Landry left, and then with Jalen Waddle coming in through the draft. I didn't think it was really possible for him to increase his target share. But he did exactly that to 112 targets, 73 catches, and 780 yards. That's all career highs for him, along with two touchdowns, which was a career low. But still, I'm not too worried about the touchdowns. He's always been super efficient, very similar to Goddard. After the catch, averages like 10 to 11 yards per catch. Love to see the ability to stretch the field from a tight end. Even though that Tyree kill and the improved Miami offense looks to be a little bit different under Mike McDaniel this year. I think that's going to be a good thing for Mike Gesicki. I think he's going to be able to be used, maybe not in a George Kittle type way, but in a productive way where he's still able to be utilized in the offense in a strong way alongside Waddle and Hill. So number three on that option, and I think number eight on the list is pretty fair for what he's been able to do in previous years and what I'm thinking of him to do this year with Mike McDaniel. My number eight, I have Dalton Schultz. Uh, Dalton Schultz will be going into, uh, or Dallas will be going into the year without Amari Cooper and without Michael Gallup for a little portion of the year. I think so it's going to be CeeDee Lamb. And then I think this is where Dalton Schultz really kind of steps up and takes that uh, number two receiving role for a little bit because he did show flashes this past season, just over 800 receiving yards. I feel like that's definitely going to improve as he has shown a pretty decent consistency overall at the uh, tight end position in just the, just the improved role with the departure of Amari Cooper and with the um, injury of Michael Gallup. This is why I put him at 
uh, number eight on my list. And my number seven, I have Mike Kosicki. I agree with Ben. I've always been big on Mike Kosicki, but like Ben said, I feel like the addition of Tyreek Hill is really going to benefit, um, be beneficial for Gesicki. No one's gonna, no one's gonna even really think about him when you think about this offense. So I think that uh, that in itself will be basically the keys to unlock him in this offense. And Tua, he has all the weapons he could want in Waddle, in Hill, and with Gesicki too. Um, I think it's definitely going to be a big year for Mike Gesicki in uh, in Miami. South Beach. I'll slide things over to myself at number seven. Uh, I also have Mike Gesicki. Um, just to put the frosting on the cake here for this guy, um, Gesicki, as Mike mentions, um, I think will be more beneficial moving into the season just because of all the additional big-time weapons that uh, the Dolphins went out and added. The Jalen Waddles, the Tyree Kills, um, your Chase Edmonds, um, in the backfield, I think just rounding it out as a whole, I think there's a lot more to be featured in this Miami offense, leaving Gesicki sort of as the side guy to pick up the slack. Um, if things go south in the offense, um, I think that this will be a good safety blanket for Tua moving forward. Um, if there's good coverage on both Waddle and Hill, um, and I am very comfortable putting him at number seven on this list. So here I have Mike Gesicki. Very interesting there. I'll go with another younger player at the tight end position. A lot of a lot of youth at this bottom of the list, and I really like Definitely. to see it from the tight ends. Uh, I've got TJ Hawkinson of the Detroit Lions as my number seven. TJ uh, is coming off an injury-riddled year. He was dealing with a hand injury that pretty much ended his season four or five games early, but still had pretty solid numbers when he was playing. He was pretty much on a pace to have 900 yards receiving on the season. He was going to be over 100 targets. He was pretty much the focal point of that Detroit offense. Unfortunately, it was a really bad offense, but TJ Hawkinson was not uh, anywhere to do with that. He was a really good player, and I thought that he was pretty much due for a junior jump to use some alliteration there. He unfortunately was not able to do so, and in his absence, both Amon Ross, St. Brown, and DeAndre Swift really established themselves as really dependable options in that offense as a wide receiver running back tandem. I think it'll be interesting how, uh, oh my God, breaking kneecaps, Dan Campbell uh, is able to use them in his second season as head coach. I'm not sure if Hawkinson is going to be the total focal point like he was previously. That's why I have him dropped down a little bit. I don't think I have the optimism on the player as much as other people do. So that's why I have him here at number seven. And then number six, I've been going back and forth on this, but I do think uh, I'm going to, to make the decision here to put Darren Waller at number six. Darren Waller is one of my favorite players last year in fantasy football or just in football in general. He is such a great story. He has fought so hard to get where he is right now. And he's been a phenomenal player since he really established himself with the Raiders. He has arguably been the second best tight end over the past three years. Coming off a season in 2020, where he's a pro bowler, putting up 1,200 yards, 145 targets, phenomenal numbers. Unfortunately, he did deal with the injury bugaboo, similar to TJ Hawkinson, missed six games. He was kind of in and out of the lineup. He wasn't as efficient as he usually was. 
And now we're going into a season where Hunter Renfro has pretty much established himself as a very solid slot wide receiver and a dependable uh, red zone target for Derek Carr. And if you add in Devontae Adams, who is an absolute target monster, where does that leave Darren Waller? I'm honestly concerned about what his target share is going to look like, if it's going to diminish under that 100 target range. If it does, I'd be surprised, but I think there's honestly a chance of it. You saw how much they ran the ball last year, and I wouldn't be surprised if Josh McDaniels continues that trend despite adding in a weapon like Devontae Adams. It just seems like the trajectory that they might be heading in. So I'm just concerned about both the injury the way the offense is going, and he's also heading into his age 30 season. That 30 number is tough for tight ends. We've seen Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski really conquer it. Will Darren Waller be the next one? We have to see, but just with my little uh, hesitancies here, even though I love the player, love the person so much, I have him here at number six. My number six is uh, TJ Hawkinson. I've been I've been huge on TJ Hawk. Um he's kinda I'm kinda starting to you know come back down to earth and look at it from a realistic standpoint. He really hasn't made that huge tight end jump that we expected him to so far. And I think that is uh like Ben mentioned, is due to uh an injury filled year, but it's kind of tough because I had him. I said before last season that easily TJ Hawkinson will be a top five tight end. And even though I just have him outside of the top five, when you think of top five tight ends, TJ Hawkinson really doesn't uh, come to mind. I think he definitely can for sure because he's still young. But at this point, going into the season, there are too many uh, better tight ends to like projection wise over TJ Hawkinson. Still think he's going to have a really good year. They have Amon Ra. And they also acquired DJ Chark, I believe. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, I think, will be. He he is a solid tight end, just never made that jump. I hope he does because I definitely love Hawk. So Hawk is my six. There we go. Um, all right, moving over to my number six. Um, I have Dallas Goddard. Um, I have him a little bit higher than both of you do. Um and I think I did this a little bit more to the, the veteran presence that Goddard has over the years and how he's fought with Ertz to get the tight end uh, one spot that he has in Philadelphia. And just simply put, um, I think Goddard's going to be relied a little bit more upon this season. And I say that because some guys that they acquired previously in the draft and in free agency just, just haven't really panned out at all. Your J.J. Uh, Ortega-Whiteside, your Jalen Ragers, um, I think this offense is going to be heavy on not only the run game and the committee that they have, but on Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard. I think those are going to be your top two targets as far as receivers go. Um, I think Devonta Smith's going to be the primary for Hertz and then Goddard the second. Um, and so I think this kid's uh, target share is going to be a lot more um, than what we saw potentially this year. And I think moving forward, um, you're going to see a lot more of Goddard featured in the uh, air game for Jalen Hurts if he pans out so. Um, and number six, I had Dallas Goddard, if this will let me. I think it's just frozen. There we go. Um, and then moving over to my number five, I have the big man himself, the second-year guy, Kyle Pitts, out of Atlanta. Um, 
I think this is a pick that was uh, due for a while. Um, Pitts was someone just because of the Atlanta offense that was very inconsistent um, this past year. Um, you really had no idea what was going on in Ridley. It was an unexpected rise of Cordero Patterson. You had Olamide Zacchaeus and Russell Gage getting targets. Um, but now that all the dust has settled, um, I think they're going to seriously rely on Pitts to um, be the safety blanket for Marcus Mariota in this offense. Um, moving forward, I think he's going to be featured almost as like a wide receiver tight end hybrid. Um, like he was used similar in Florida, not just a strict tight end because of the physical ability and stature that he brings to this offense. Um, and, and overall, I think he's just going to be featured a lot more. Um, he did have some solid games um, this past year, especially the London game against the Jaguars. Um, but moving forward, I think he's going to be a top five tight end um, into the season. So my five is Kyle Pitts. Very interesting. Very interesting. So at my number five spot, this is a player that I've loved to watch the past two years, and he is the definition of a target monster in this offense, and that's Dalton Schultz of the Dallas Cowboys. He's a very much a surprise player that I've really enjoyed to watch grow over the past two years. He's really blossomed to where the role that I thought Blake Jarwin could potentially possess in this yeah. offense because Jarwin did have some solid upside. Dalton Schultz has pretty much taken over that and risen it to the upteenth degree. He's been a phenomenal player. Just going over his numbers this year, 78 receptions, 808 uh, yards, and eight touchdowns. Those are all highs increases from 89 targets, 63 catches, 615 yards the previous year. With Amari Cooper being out, like Mike mentioned his point earlier, Dalton Schultz is going to be the number two target on this offense. I understand that the Cowboys – are at their best when they're able to run the ball efficiently, efficiently, excuse me, with both Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. But Dak Prescott is going to need to throw the ball. And if it's not C.D. Lamb, it looks to be Dalton Schultz this year. And Schultz is a very good player. He's only 25 years old. He is right in the middle of his prime, potentially on the peak of it. I'm very interested to see what he's able to do. I think his outlook for this year much brighter than a lot of people see. So Dalton Schultz at number five. My number five is Darren Waller. Darren Waller was, I believe I had him at three last year. And it's kind of a, because I really do like, it's a great story. Like Ben mentioned, Darren Waller, great, great player. But, I'm kind of fearful that it's going in the wrong direction rather than the good direction, especially with the addition of Devonta Adams for the Raiders as a whole. Definitely, definitely a good situation acquiring Devonte before Darren Waller's stock. Um, not a good thing. Still, I mean, I have him at number five, so he's still very, very great tight end in this league. I just, I just definitely think his role will be. Uh, diminished from previous years now that they have an actual number one uh, receiving threat in Devontae. So that I, I just really couldn't fit Darren. Well, I wanted to put him higher. I just really couldn't fit him above any of these guys I have near the top. You want to jump into your number four, Mike? Did you say five? I did. Okay. Um, my number Jeez. four 
Uh, my number four is uh, George Kittle. Um, George Kittle injury, injury um, the past, what, two seasons, I believe. And we really don't know what Trey Lance is looking like or even if they start Trey Lance. I know Ben mentioned that um, in conversations outside of the show. Uh, to me, this week with Jimmy G still in the in that system, I do think they'll roll with Trey Lance at the end of the day. But George Kittle, he really hasn't given me enough to really make a projection of him going into this uh, season. He, I hold on, I should have had this prepared, but I just want to see how many um, games he actually played in the past few seasons because he was so Kittle over the past three seasons. Missed three in 2019, or excuse me, two, because they changed to 17. So two in 2019, yep. he missed eight in 2020, and he missed three in 2021. So that right. is uh, eight, two, three. That is 13. Three, yeah. So definitely no George as a, what, just in 2019, that Super Bowl run. He was arguably the number one tight end in the league. He still can get to that level just based off these last few seasons. I really can't put him above. This is all what all the top of the list are. You just can't put them above each other. Still a great tight end. But George Kittle is my four. Good pick. Good pick. Um, I'll jump into my number four here. Um, and I had Darren Waller at four. Um, this is someone where... I really struggled to figure out where he fit um, in this top 10. Um, and so I put him here for only because of the initial success he's had in the past. Um, like you both mentioned, Waller's been seriously riddled with the injury bug the last couple of seasons. And now with the establishment of Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, um, you brought in, I believe, who am I missing? I believe Deshaun Jackson is still in Vegas um, he's not. He's a non-factor, though. Still, um, at, at the end of the day, um, the Raiders are just getting better and better at the receiver position, and with the injuries that are involved with Waller and the versatility that Carr is going to have to go to in this offense, um, like Mike mentioned, I think it's trending more the opposite direction as opposed to the good direction. Um, so I have him here for. Um, but like I mentioned, I was very hesitant to put him here at number four. Realistically, I probably have him more around the five, six spot. So, um, Darren Waller as of now is my number four. Yeah. I'll kind of piggyback off what Mike was mentioning. Cause my number four is also George Kittle. George Kittle is probably the most talented player at the tight end position pound for pound. Um, he is a phenomenal player when he is on the field. That's the thing. I've said this with multiple lists, best availability or best ability that you can have is availability. And unfortunately, George Kittle does not have that. He does, however, put up phenomenal numbers when he plays uh, 71 catches, 910 yards, and 14 games this season. Once again, he averages like 13 yards per catch. He, he's a phenomenal player. He is the yak God among the tight ends. And he's a phenomenal blocker as well, but, Unfortunately, he's getting up there in age. He's right around 29 years old now. We're heading into his age 29-year-old season. And Trey Lance likely is going to be taking the reins 
at quarterback, at least in my eyes. This is how I'm viewing it. I think if Jimmy Garoppolo stays, I probably would have him in the same range, maybe have him one spot higher. But I think with Trey Lance and the adjustments that is going to be made in this offense with Kyle Shanahan, I do think that it's going to be more focused on Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk rather than the aging George Kittle. I think he's still a factor. And I still think, even though Debo Samuel had a phenomenal season, that he is their most important player on offense. He is a game changer when he is on. However, it's just that concern of is he able to stay healthy and how is the offense able to adjust now with the new quarterback situation. Now with kind of a similar one transitioning into my number three, and this might be a little bit of a shocker for you guys, I have Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is coming off of perhaps the best tight end season that we've seen since last year uh, with Travis Kelsey <laughs> and George Kittle. And they're literally always topping each other with yards. But Mark Andrews, yep. phenomenal season. Triple-digit catches, 170 catches for over 1,350 yards, 1,361 to be exact. Phenomenal season, nine touchdowns. My one concern, and this is a stat that I want to bring up, in five games without Lamar Jackson, with the Tyler Huntley's of the world, with whoever was coming in at quarterback that was not named Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews was averaging eight catches and 101 yards per game, 40 catches and 508 yards in total in five games without Lamar Jackson. He was just being targeted on dump-offs, and he was able to make some good plays yards after catch. If Lamar Jackson's under center, he's probably not throwing as much, He's probably spreading it more out to Marquise Hollywood-Brown and Rashad Bateman. Tyler Huntley and whoever else was under center, I'm really forgetting the third quarterback's name. Joe Johnson. Was it jo- was Josh Johnson or Joe Johnson? I think Joe. I'm going to look Jay it up. Johnson. He literally just saw the Broncos. Jay Johnson. Um, Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson. I knew because pitcher for Miami Marlins a few years ago. I digress. Mark Andrews is a phenomenal player. I think – the huge jump in like 600 receiving yards that he made from his previous season. I think the jump that he made is still like sustainable, but I don't think it's to the degree that he played at this season. I think that's his absolute peak. I don't think he'll be able to repeat it. And I think the two guys I have above him, I can trust and count on more, not only this upcoming year, but just potentially in the future as well, depending on, depending on some age factors, but. Andrews had a phenomenal season. He's only going into age 26 or 27 season. So he's got some chemistry with Lamar Jackson that can hopefully continue on for a few years. But with J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and the rest of the running backs coming back healthy, I think it's more heavy on the run game, more targets to Marquise Hollywood-Brown and Rashad Bateman, and therefore a little bit of a downtick for Mark Andrews, hence why I have him at number three. All right, I guess I'm going into my number three here. Uh, my number three is George Kittle um, from the 49ers. Um, as Ben mentioned, um, and Mike as well, George Kittle is phenomenal when he's on the field. When he's on the field at this point in time is the biggest question mark I've had in so long. Um, it seems like every year in fantasy football, you draft George Kittle, you have a phenomenal first four weeks of them, and then you're just like, where the heck did he go? He's gone for the rest of the season except for the last week. Um, but at the end of the day, um, Kittle's phenomenally talented. Uh, talented. 
Um, he's got all the talent in the world. He's able to produce when he's healthy, and he's a really good asset to have on offense. The problem is he's just not on the field at all. Um, you just look at this past season. They had to rely much more on Brandon Ayuk, the run game of Elijah Mitchell, um, and then the unbelievable rise of Debo Samuel. Um, and I think Ben hit it on the nail. Um, they're going to be featuring those guys so much more in the offense, especially with the uh, incoming potential of Trey Lance um, and the stability known at the receiver position. Um, and so I think you're going to see a little bit more of a digression here from George Kittle um, because of the um, lack of stability that he has in his health um, and the injury uh, riddles. Um, so number three, I have Kittle. I'll do my number three, and then we will do um, honorable, honorable mentions. mentions. Um, <laughs> my list is very similar to Ben. I have Mark Andrews at three. Um, for basically all the same reasons he did say, um, I didn't know that fact about the games Lamar was missing, though, in his kind of uptick in numbers. But I definitely agree that Mark Andrews is a very, very, we know he's a great tight end. We know he is a safety blanket for Lamar. I think with uh, the kind of the emergence of Hollywood this past season with Lamar and now Rashad Bateman, who wasn't healthy much at all this past season or even much with Lamar, I think Lamar is going to favor those two, the the two speedsters over um, a guy like Mark Andrews, even though he is uh, a great tight end, great safety blanket. I love Mark Andrews. Um, and the run game, obviously. Just due to those simple facts, I think that he is on number three. And I'm still taking my, my top two guys over him. Um, so, Mock is my third. And honorable mentions. Um, just name my two real quick. Uh, Zach Ertz got traded from Philly to Arizona and had a very nice season for himself. I think that uh, continues in Arizona with Kyler Murray liking that little tight end target there. Kyler Murray, Arizona hasn't really had like a solid <laughs> tight end uh, for the past few seasons. And I think Zach Ertz plays that role nicely. Uh, my other name I wanted, I originally had him on my list, but then forgot um, Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox is a guy that I like kind of. Um, He's kind of like, uh, Josh, I don't want to say Josh Allen safety blank because he does really need one, but uh, just like a little safety valve for Josh Allen in the offense. Forgot like, they did. I like that terminology, safety valve, because he's not the safety blanket. That's Diggs, right? It, the valve is like you want to go to it like occasionally, and when you go to it, it's pretty damn good. Yep, yep, and that's that's what uh, Dawson Ox is. We saw in that game against the Chiefs in the regular season. Yes. He had the game of his life in that one. And they also acquired uh, O.J. Howard, um, which is going to be definitely definitely a crowded room, even with the departure of Cole Beasley. But I still think Dawson Knox's name uh, should have been mentioned, or should be mentioned, so that's why I have him in honorable mentions. Those are my two. Um, I guess I'll jump. Oh. Go ahead, Bob. I just said B.C. Oh. <laughs> Jeez. Um, well, he liked that one. <laughs> Jeez. Um, I'll jump into mine. Um, so I have three. Uh, I think the two obvious ones are Hawkinson and Schultz. Um, the biggest one that I don't like is Hawkinson. Um, 
I just, as much as much I love like dog, huh? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. The the biggest reason why I have beef with Hawkinson um, is not just because of the injuries, <laughs> but just because of the talent that. How do I how do I phrase this properly? You got beef um, with him. You got beef with him because he's hard, dog. The reason why I'm not a massive fan of Hawkinson is because of the talent that um, is around him. Um, discarding St. Brown and DeAndre Swift, um, I'm not a huge fan still of Jared Goff throwing to Hawkinson. I don't think it's the best matchup for TJ Hawkinson when he's healthy. I think Jared Goff relies a little bit more on the run game between Williams and Swift and then the safety blanket um, of Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, So I think at this point, you can question me whether or not I didn't put him on the list, but I didn't have Hawkinson. Um, And then the other one that I had was Pat Fryermuth. I think if this kid has another solid season with Mitch Trubisky, um, he could make the top 10. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, those three are my honorable mentions. Clearly a mention for Dalton Schultz, baby, but – we digress. We digress. We'll start off with my honorable mentions. Dawson Knox or Boots, phenomenal player. He was leading the leading the t- tight end position with nine touchdowns on the season, along with Hunter Henry, but Knox is better. Uh, <laughs> Dawson Knox is pretty much like the fact that he has Josh Allen as his quarterback is pretty much the entire reason that he is is that high up for me because Josh Allen and him are able to just click on a play and just go off for the, 70 the, yards. The safety valve. Yeah. That's beautiful. And it can burst at any moment. That's what I was meaning to say. I don't know why I didn't uh, say that because that works better. Sexual innuendo, but. This is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> Glad Brett didn't hear that. Um, <laughs> but. Oh, I did. Regardless, um, I think that Dawson Knox uh, – probably hit a bit of a ceiling. I think the player has a lot more talent that can be um, shown off in this offense. But like you mentioned, with O.J. Howard being added as another tight end to compete for targets, and even though they did lose Cole Beasley, I don't know how much Dawson's numbers can improve. That's why I think like a guy like Cole Komet, I think his numbers can improve. So I'd sure. rather have him, even though they had very similar seasons, to be honest with you. Uh, Pat Fryermuth. I'm a little concerned that he was a byproduct of Big Ben. And what I mean by this is, like, I think the target share, which was, like, nothing, like, outrageous, but 79 targets for a rookie tight end is pretty darn heavy. I think it was just a product of Big Ben dumping off to Fryermuth and have him running, like, five yards. Uh, at least Deontay Johnson can make, like, a 15, 20-yard play out of that. Fryermuth cannot. Uh, but he's a very solid player. Um, I, think I hate got... to cut you off, but what was that game? Um, I think it was. I think it was like a Monday night game where Big Ben had like thirty pass attempts and owned like less than hundred yards or something. I think it was. It was something. I think it was. The, I think it was the like playoff that. game. I think it was, it was against the playoff Google. game. It was the playoff game against Kansas City. Yep. Was that right. one? Yeah, I look at the stat line. Regardless, though, I you think Fryermuth is a good player. I'm just 
I, I want to see him post Big Ben. I want to see what his numbers look like after that. Like I, I've seen Deontay Johnson without Big Ben. I've seen Chase Claypool without Big Ben. Let me see Pat Fryermuth without Big Ben, just so I know he's a good player. And then you mentioned him earlier. Honestly, Zach Ertz was probably the last person I was to cut. He had a very good season, especially after he went yeah. back to Arizona. 74 catches for 763 yards, age 31 season, where I thought he was honestly washed away like gone flushed away maybe like the 2006 dreamworks movie a little bit of a plug there okay um but regardless um regardless uh i think that Ertz is a in a very good situation with arizona especially with uh, them losing christian kirk that's going to be more targets available for Ertz. again it's just a question of is he able to stay healthy he's 31 years old is he able to produce at the same level that he did previous year those were my concerns with Ertz, um and yeah those were my three honorable mentions bc i think we left it off with you at three so i'm thinking or, or i'm sorry with was it with mike yeah it was me mike was the last was one with for mike three, so yeah. mike mike you're going with your number two here okay mom my, my number two is kyle pitts kyle pitts bc said kyle pitts a top five try top two dog Kyle Pitts, the the sky is the limit uh, with him. Too quick for linebackers and too big for cornerbacks. He is just the weapon that I think Mariota is going to have a lot of fun with in this very, very um, gruesome offense. I don't even know what it is at this point. That is it, disrespectful. You've got know, Cordero it, Patterson who can literally play every position. And uh, <laughs> oh, that's it. <laughs> that is true that is true uh what ha- what happened to mike davis anyways he's me. still there he's uh, he's not good um so, no but kyle pitts he is going to be the guy in the offense and i think he is um i think his stock is rising uh gonna rise tremendously this year they have the eighth pick. We really don't know what they're going to do. I keep thinking a wide receiver there because they have no one. Even if they do take a wide receiver, uh, which they'll probably be, they might probably be the first team to do so in the draft. I'm still taking Kyle Pitts, um, just due to his versatility at the tight end position. He's basically a bigger um, receiver, is what he is, and just over a thousand yards as a rookie. I feel like it was kind of even though he did put up good numbers. It was kind of, um, I don't want to say disappointing, but just not. Um, I feel like there was definitely more to expect from him in his rookie season. I really think he's going to leave everything out on the table in his second season. And this is why I have him at my number two spot going <clears throat> into the season. Yeah, I'll hop right in because I also have Kyle Pitts here at number two. I want to throw out this stat just to start off with. So yards per catch, I brought it up a couple times with uh, Dallas Goddard, George Kittle. So Kyle Pitts had 15.1 yards per catch as an average this season. That is comparable to, a.k.a. it's better than, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, Mike Evans, and Cooper Cup, just for a few names there. That is from a rookie tight end, 21 years of age, in an offense like Mike mentioned, Aside from Cordero Patterson, was uh, a little sussy. Um, 
<laughs> a little saucy abaca. But regardless, stop roasting on the Falcons for a second. Do I like the change from Matt Ryan to Marcus Mariota? I think it's interesting. I don't know if it's an upgrade or a downgrade yet for Pitts. I think that from the target share perspective, it's better to have Matt Ryan. For the what I was talking about with yards per catch and the big play value, I think it's better with Marcus Mariota, in my opinion. So I think in, it, I'm interested to see how his target share works this season, especially without – even though Calvin Ridley dis, did miss the majority of the season last year, he's out. He is out. He is gone. And the wide receiver room for the Falcons is absolutely atrocious. Literally everyone left. Russell Gage yeah. left. Olodomus Zacchaeus left. Everyone left. It is Cordell Patterson. It is Kyle Pitts. And then whoever they add in free agency or the uh, draft, which has pretty much been no one so far. Pitts had the best rookie tight end season ever. Where he goes from here, really up to him. And the only reason I don't have him number one is because the guy number one keeps breaking Father Time's neck. So you know yeah. what? I got to keep him there until he falters. Did the little bit of a change at my wide receivers list with Adams and Jefferson. Can't do that here with Pitts. I'm going to keep him at number two. Yeah, a little uh, a little hurtful too uh, on the Falcons' offense lander from Ben. Not even naming uh, two big receiving weapons they have in uh, Demir Bird and Auden Tate. They have so. they have Demir Bird. Oh yeah, I, I just I, Tajay I Sharp back, too. I take back all I said. Tajay Sharp, no, Shannon Tajay. Jr. Uh, I don't think Tajay so. Sharp is currently gone. UMass legend. All right, Brett. Even though I wouldn't do BC. All right. My number two is Mark Andrews. Um, I just watching this season alone, um, I think this was the biggest thing I could have saw out of Mark Andrews. And I think this is probably the best season I've seen out of a Baltimore tight end to date. Um, it's debatable with Shannon Sharp, but I think this is one of the biggest things I've seen out of a Baltimore tight end. Uh, just going over some stat leaders here, Andrews led in receptions, targets, total yards, yards per catch, and he was tied for first in touchdowns. Um, ridiculous season out of Mark Andrews. Um, and I think at the end of the day, um, when you look at it, I think even with Lamar spreading it out, I still think he's one of the most impactful players in this Ravens offense. Um, I think it's really interesting the point that Ben brought up about how reliant the backup quarterbacks were on their uh, tight end Mark Andrews, especially considering um, the weapons that they had otherwise as well. When Bateman came back, Hollywood Brown, you had a decent return in Devonta Freeman. Um, but at the end of the day, Andrews produced unbelievable statistics, something we didn't even expect out of him at all. Like I don't think any of us expected Mark Andrews to have the season that he had um, in Baltimore. So I think he continues this moving forward. Um, and that's why I have him at number two. So, and our consensus one, I, I think we all pretty much agree. Um, we'll say it together. Anyone, but Albert Okuwebuwan. <laughs> oh my God. Travis Kelsey. A.K.A. Travis Kelsey. Yeah. 
I'll uh I'll take the reins here for Mr. Kelsey because he's got some stats. Yeah, for now, sure. The first thing I'll say is, and this is just to preface how good he is, this is his worst season, arguably, since 2016, 2017. Well, luckily we're going off of projections and not uh, recaps. Okay, well, that's interesting. Um, but still, I wanted to throw out a season, season from last year. Uh, just over 90 catches, uh, right over 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns. In the Kansas City offense, he has been pretty much the stalwart. Uh, I'm not going to use the word safety blanket anymore because that yeah. has been officially killed on this We're episode, episode yeah, 31. Yeah. Uh, but he is pretty much the target hog uh, between him and Travis – or excuse me, between him and Tyree Kill in the Kansas City offense for pretty much the past three to four seasons since Mahomes has taken over, and he's been phenomenal. He is – been consistently on the all-pro team, consistently pro bowler. He is the top of the class at the tight end position. He's been doing it kind of at, I don't want to say the tail end of his career, but near the end of his prime, and he's been doing a phenomenal yeah. job. You want to say that maybe Mahomes had a fact to do with it, but he was still putting up great numbers when Alex Smith was under center. He's continued to even increase his ability to uh, just make some flat-out amazing plays. One standout is... Uh, the walk-off touchdown that he had against the Chargers. Call it a blown play. Call it a veteran tight end making the most out of a weak secondary. It was still a great moment to watch. And Travis Kelsey, now in an offense without Tyree Kill, they added in oh, they added in Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster, all these names with hyphens in it. Okay, well, just because you have a lot of words in your name doesn't mean you're a great player. Oh, <laughs> that's... <laughs> That's next level, bro. The face drop on Brett was unbelievable there. Um, <laughs> but regardless, Travis Kelsey is going to be the focal point now of this offense. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Oh, another guy with uh, three names. Uh, I don't know how good he's going to be, uh, especially because he's really disappointed his first two years. But talking about Kelsey, I think he's going to have the focal point of this offense around him. If he's able to handle the situation like he has in previous years, no reason to expect anything else but greatness from Travis Kelsey. He remains consensus number one for us. And uh, we'll just have to see when father time is eventually able to catch up to him. Maybe it's this upcoming year. Who knows? But obviously we don't believe that at number one. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. The point you bring up, uh, unrelated to their hyphens, uh, but Smith-Schuster involved as Scantling. Um Throughout Kelsey's career, he's always had the big name to rely on at the receiver position, Tyreek Hill. Now that Hill's gone, and you sort of have these lesser talents to fill in at the receiver role. No Much lesser. Um, I almost wonder how dependent Mahomes is really going to be on Kelsey, and does that A, have a factor on his ability to produce, and B, does it have a factor on his health? Because when you have a receiver like that and Kelsey being overworked a lot and being having such a large target share in the offense, I'm almost curious if it's going to be a reduced factor in his play. Will he digress in sort of his health, being covered a lot? I, I don't know. It's an interesting point to see where it goes moving forward in the next – phase here for the Kansas City offense, but I think not having Hill is going to be massive in how 
Kelsey's viewed in the Chiefs scheme? In my opinion, I do believe that the Chiefs pretty much are eliminating Tyree Kill's target share with both MVS, Juju, and in my opinion, I believe that they draft a first-round wide receiver in all likelihood. I don't know who exactly it will be, but I do think that's a likelihood that they go down, especially with them having the tendency to draft uh, first-round. Uh, I said tendency. They've done it once with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. It didn't really work out. Maybe they want to try it out again to replace Tyree Kill, but I do think the target share is going to be replaced. I think Andy Reid's smart enough to not like put too much stress on Travis Kelsey. Like he is the stalwart of the offense. He's not going to put too much pressure on him. Kelsey will take on as much as possible, but he's not going to over overbear him, to put it plainly. Yeah, and who knows? They might even uh, double up at the receiver position because they have uh, 29, 30, and they also have 50 in the second round. Um, so my guess is they'll probably let Mahomes have one of those picks and uh, pick a guy he likes. Like the um, Edwards Alaire pick, I believe that was Mahomes pick that he liked, but didn't really work out. We will see if and picked him over Jonathan Taylor. And good job, Patty. You're gonna be a great GM. <laughs> well, he, he fits the offense. Well, I gotta log off now. Um, but yeah, it's uh it's definitely interesting. Uh Kansas City has a, a few different ways they can go um with this draft. Definitely, definitely need to address defensive defensive needs and it's going to oh, it's going to be i love the i love the draft season we're we're slowly creeping up to it too i know Boy, dude it's coming that's, so your favorite, that's your favorite season of the year mike two weeks from tomorrow that's crazy mike just think we just about a month ago we were there watching all these guys try out and now we're going to see them drafted I, I guess I'll log out of the chat here. Um, they, they are like, no, it's gonna feel like, and he logged out. <laughs> no, it's you know what it's gonna feel like. It's gonna feel like um, my my little baby is graduating. It's, it's gonna be like little babies crossing that stage, you know, oh. in Las Vegas. I'm gonna say, me and me and BC witnessed witnessed these men, their beautiful workouts and. They're there crossing that stage, beautiful babies. Yeah, they'll so be crossing a stage, they'll be crossing a boat onto the Bellagio. Yeah, no, I love that. They were gonna do that in 2020. Mm-hmm. I want to go. Okay. Then, I'm super excited to see how they. I feel like there's a. I mean, nah, it'll work out good, but I kind of hope there's a malfunction. Um, <laughs> just give us a, some more entertainment, you know? Jeez. That'd be interesting. Maybe maybe a little Jordan Davis swimming with the fishes or something. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> All right. Let's recap our list before we hop off for the night. Um, my list starting off, number 10, Albert Okwebenam, Robert Tunyon, <laughs> Mike Gesicki, Dallas Goddard, Kyle Pitts, Darren Waller, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, Nguyen Ben, Cole Komet, Dallas Goddard, Mike Gesicki, TJ Hawkinson, Darren Waller, Dalton Schultz, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, Travis Kelsey, and then Mike, last but not least, Pat Fryermuth, Dallas Goddard, Dalton Schultz, Mike Gesicki, TJ Hawkinson, Darren Waller, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, and Travis Kelsey. 
That rounds out our tight end rankings here on the three and out pod. Fellas, next week we get safeties. We get safeties on the pod next week. That'll be an exciting one. We got safeties, and then the week after we have our uh, joint mock draft. We do. That's the one I'm most excited about. Um, Since when? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I get better start studying for the big test. For sure. For sure. You let me know. I'll help you out, Ben. I'll help you out, too. We'll help each other out. Uh, yeah. I'll take Mike's out. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, on that happy note. We're helping hands. Brett, uh, you want to close out the pod? Okay. Uh, on that happy up. note, that is it for episode 31 here of the 3 and Out podcast. Make sure to check us out on all social medias. That's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. But you're watching us on right now powered by StreamYard. Thank you so much for listening in. Take care. Brett your hair.